1: Thankfully, you are a gracious, generous God because we are a needy people. If you were not able and inclined to give, we would face vast need and perish. But, Father, you are a generous, kind, merciful, gracious King. And out of love you give. You've given to us your Son that you might give to us the fullness of yourself. Bless your holy name. As was prayed earlier, you have given us your Son that you might give us the presence of you, yourself, God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth. You, high and exalted, stoop to meet with us. Bless your name. Thank you for giving yourself in Christ to us. And then we move on from there and say thank you for giving every day new mercies. This morning and tomorrow morning and the day after that, there will be more of your giving seen in our lives. You give us breath, and the next second you give us breath again, and again, and again. Give us minds and bodies, give us hearts that can relate to you and to each other. You give to us and to all of the world, in fact, common grace, food to eat, houses to live in, sun to warm us, water to drink. All the stuff we take for granted comes from You, a generous God. And we say thank You. And as we look at a passage this morning that is about asking and giving, I pray, Lord, that You would put over all of it this perspective that You are a generous giver. And You would use that to motivate us to ask. And You would show us some of our need and motivate us to ask. And Lord, I I want to pray beyond that, though. I want to ask You to give. Not just give a desire to ask, but to give the answer to the asking. To give Yourself the full covenant blessing that You mean for us to have. Your presence, communion with You, delight with You. Give that here this morning, Lord. Perhaps there are some who don't know You at all, who know about You, but do not know You Perhaps there's some here who have been in church for their whole lives or portions of their whole lives and know much about you. Would you give yourself to them today even? Man or woman, boy or girl. And for us here who know you, awaken us, Lord, to the need for more and give, Please. Speak through Your Word. Draw us to You. Gain our attention and Spirit of God. Run through the room here now and move, I pray. Christ would be honored. And that Your people would be blessed and grown. I pray this in His name. Amen. We give our attention this morning to the last portion of 1 Samuel chapter 1. Last week we came into Samuel by leaving the book of Judges, though we're not leaving the period of the Judges. Samuel himself, you recall, is the last of the Judges. So all during his life, we're or most of his life, we're still dealing with this period of tremendous chaos and wickedness amongst the people of Israel. Which makes it interesting... When we begin 1 Samuel 1, to note that we meet a righteous couple. Particularly, the focus is on a righteous woman named Hannah. We meet her, she's the main character of chapter 1. And in verses 1 through 19, we see Hannah deeply grieved because though she is the favored wife of her righteous husband, Elkanah, nonetheless, she has no children. She's barren. Say so it's that three times in the passage so that we don't miss it. The Lord has closed her womb, and she's painfully provoked in that area by her rival, the unrighteous second wife of Elkanah. But the focus of the problem, as you'll recall, when we look at that, we talked about this last week, it's easy for us to look look at a woman who does not have children, and it's easy for us to connect our modern experience of perhaps our own experience or perhaps family members or friends' difficulty of having children or perhaps carrying children all the way to, to full term, that, that is an issue and a great pain for us today, and it's easy for us to look at Hannah and connect that issue to her, but that's not exactly what's going on. Though that is a great concern for us, the problem as God presents it to us here in this passage is a spiritual problem. Not just one of, of not being able to have the, the joy of children, it's a spiritual issue that she faces. Her main problem is that on the one hand, She is faithful to the covenant, talking about the old covenant. She's faithful to the covenant that God established. She's righteous. She has a deep and intimate and personal relationship, as as we see how how she interacts with him. She knows him. She walks with him. She loves him. She's faithful to him, to the covenant. And yet, on the other hand, it says the Lord has closed her womb, has held back from her, denied her one of the explicit and one of the greatest, one of the most important blessings of that Old Covenant, children, especially sons. Sons were were a critical component of the Old Covenant blessing, or the the converse, the the denial of sons was a, a piece of the Old Covenant cursing. They were very important because it was a way that that the physical expression of the covenant was secured. Sons are strength. Sons are prosperity. Sons are blessing. And so to give sons was a blessing of the old covenant and to deny them was a curse. And so you see the tension. She's righteous. She's faithful. She walks with God. She knows him. And yet she doesn't have the full, a critical blessing but in fact has the curse. There's a tension there. And every year as they went up to worship before the Lord, her rival rubbed it in. Rubbed it in. Provoke, provoke, provoke. She's grieved by it. You read the text, it's obvious. You lack God's favor. I have, I have plenty of kids, so you don't have any. God's blessing does not rest on you. The fullness of what you think you should have in the covenant and what you should have in the covenant. You don't have it. There's a tension there. She's grieved by that until finally she says enough and she goes to God. She goes to the house of the Lord, the same one who shut her up in barrenness, and she pleads with him for full blessing, for fruit, to give her life where there is none. And she makes a vow with him in verse 11 last week. Lord, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember your servant and give to your servant a son, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. No razor will ever touch his head. He'll be a Nazarite, a dedicated priest-like servant of yours all the days of his life. She goes, she cries out to God, and he heard her, verse 19, and remembered her. Which brings us to this morning's text, verses 20 through 28, the positive upward turn. You recall at the very end of the service last week, I mentioned that there's going to be a turn, that the tone turns positive. Which was perhaps important because the tone of all of last week, if, if you're tracking with it, the tone should leave us, if you're gripped by it, it should leave us, considering ourselves, considering our church, considering the church, it should leave us weeping. As we look at ourselves now in the new covenant as a people in covenant with God and yet lacking the fullness of the blessing that should be ours in this new covenant his people, but lacking full intimacy and and the, the breadth of what it would be like to live in oneness with God in Christ. As we see that lacking in ourselves to some degree or another, lacking in our church, lacking in the church, we should be grieved by that and should mourn. We lack the fruit that matches what the new covenant blessing should be. That should leave us weeping. And then that should turn as we come to this week because God hears, God remembers, and God gives. So with that, let me read the text. I'm going to start in verse 19 to kind of lead us into it. And I'll read all the way through the end of the chapter. This is 1 Samuel, chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord... Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah, and all his house, went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. The child was young. And they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. 1 Samuel 1. We begin with the Lord remembering Hannah, and in due time Hannah conceived, bore a son, and called him Samuel. And the emphasis there falls, parks us on the naming, though we might expect, given that she's lacked a child, we might expect there to be emphasis on the conceiving part or on the bearing part, but but we're, we're left on the naming piece. That's the emphasis. And she names him Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. It's the first of five times in this passage that the word asked is used. It's once here, four times down at the very end, 27 and 28. And if we add in the time that is used in verse 17 and the couple of times that praying is talked about, there's a whole lot of emphasis in this passage about asking of the Lord. I have asked for him From the Lord. And because of that, she names him Samuel. That word, Samuel, it sounds enough like the word ask that you can kind of see the connection there, but it's not the same word. And it's not from the same word family. It sounds a little bit similar, but literally, his name means something like his name is God, or perhaps the name of God. The two components there are name and God. And she gives him that name, I think, because she knows that this son came to her from God and is going to be given back to God, and so he should bear God's name. She can't just call him God, so she's got to give him some other name. Names him Samuel. And so puts the Lord's name on him. Sets him apart to bear God's name. There he is at home, and... Eventually, Elkanah, righteous man that he is, is going to, it's, it's time for the sacrifice again. So he's going to go up and offer the sacrifices at Shiloh at the right place again. And Hannah says she's not going to go. She's going to stay until she has weaned Samuel. And again, that's repeated several times in the text to help us to think about weaning. weaning Until I'm no longer nursing him. Weaning could last, in that culture at that time, three years. Maybe even four. So, there'd be a time. Nursing happened not for just a few months, it happened for years. So, what she's saying is, I'm going to hold him here for a few years. And what happened at weaning time for sons was that weaning was a transition time from being primarily, for a son to be primarily under the care of his mother. When he was weaned, he was transferred to be primarily under the care of his father. And so, what she's saying is, That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep him here, primarily under my care, and when I wean him, I'm going to transfer him to the care of his adoptive father, Eli, at the house of the Lord, who is standing in for God, whose name he bears. That's her plan. Verse 22, After I wean him, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Which Elkanah okays in verse 23, If a wife, if if a married woman made a a vow, a husband had to affirm it for it to be valid. And so he affirms that, says, okay, that's your plan, do that. Only, may the word of the Lord be established. May the Lord establish his word. Not referring to the Bible. We sometimes use word for slang for the Bible. Meaning, he means, may the will of the Lord, may the plan of the Lord stand. He's giving her a little caution, reminding her, we are under a vow here. We made a vow back in verse 11. You give this son, we give him back. So don't, Hannah, don't let three or four years turn into 13 or 14 years. Let God's plan that we have entered into and has been established, let it happen. She says, yes, absolutely. And when it's time, verse 24, she takes Samuel. Probably Elkanah went with her. Chapter 2, verse 11 seems to indicate that he's there also which makes sense given all the stuff they have to carry. She takes him, Hannah, takes Samuel up there to Shiloh to the tabernacle along with a whole bunch of items for sacrifice. The Hebrew actually says that there are three bulls here, and I think that's correct. Not one three-year-old bull, three one-year-old bulls. Because the flower is three times what one what the law would prescribe for one bull. She's bringing a threefold offering. To offer up a pleasing aroma to the Lord, as Numbers fifteen says. This is this is meat, bread, and wine. What is that? It's a meal. Which is what often the sacrifices were. Sacrifice is given to the Lord, and then what's offered is essentially Some of it's burned up, some of it's cooked. We bring it back here, we sit down and we eat a feast in the presence of the Lord, eating with him, celebrating with him, delighting with him, not like the other feasts where I ate bitter and empty. Here I'm eating full and delighted and happy in your presence, God. A threefold, a triple offering. We're only going to kill one of the animals now, but I'm, I'm giving abundantly, I'm so delighted and happy and pleased to be here with you, this giver. And she gave the child to Eli, for this child I prayed and here he is. And in twenty-seven, twenty-eight, our, our English masks something because it's hard to put it in English. I mentioned that the word ask is here four times. Well, it doesn't look like it if you look at English because it's very awkward. But essentially, if, if I were to try to translate it, it says something like, the Lord has given to me the asked for thing as I asked for it. And therefore, that for which I asked of the Lord is being given back to the Lord as asked. It's a little bit awkward in trying to put it into English, but the point is, she's hitting on a theme about asking and therefore giving. I asked and the Lord gave. And therefore, the way that I asked for him was saying that I was going to give him. That's what I'm going to do right now, here. Giving and asking, connected. And so he worshipped the Lord there from then on. Samuel. That's the text. And noticing how it starts and ends... 20 and 27, 28, how it starts and ends with the, with the topic of asking and giving. That's how I'm going to formulate the, the main point here this morning that I'm going to work towards. So here's how I'm going to express the main point. And I put it this way to, to try to catch a little bit of the, the back and forth flavor of 27, 28. So I'll say it a few times here. God is eager to give to those who ask Eager to give. God is eager to give to those who ask eager to give. People who ask eager to give, to them God is eager to give. There's this connection here of asking and giving. That's what I'm going to be working on this morning in two different observations. The first one about focusing on, on God who gives. So here's my first observation for this morning. God delights to give His covenant blessing to those of His servants who ask. God delights to give His covenant blessing to those of His servants who ask. He delights to do that. To give his blessing, or to use last week's language, to bear his fruit. The blessing that's offered to those with whom God has made covenant. And I say that he is delighted to do this. Because in all situations, this passage included, God is free to act however he wants. He is under no obligation. Nothing that Hannah says or does, no sacrifices she offers, no, no volume of tears ever creates an ought in God. I ought to, I, I should, I have to. He is, he is not a God who operates under obligation. He is the Lord of hosts, ruler of the angelic armies and of everything else. He alone is God. He does as He pleases So when we see him in verse 19, remember Hannah and act, we should know that he is doing it because he's pleased to do so. He remembers her affliction, does not forget it, granted her petition happily, freely, gladly because he wants to, not because he has to. He delights in doing it like any parent delights to give good gifts to a child. Hannah knows this. So when she sits down to feast with him, she knows, I'm in a happy situation. I'm not happy that I've received and he is kind of frustrated that he got obligated to give. She knows that she's delighted and she's offering up a pleasing aroma to him and he is pleased. And they are in happy communion there as they celebrate what he has given. Do you know this? Christian, I just ask you, Do you know that your God, as we sung, is a generous giver, a delighted giver? He gives to you happily, freely. Do you think of Him like that? Because you, since you are a Christian, you are His child and you've come into relationship with Him. And like a father, a good father, looking at a child He loves to give to you, do you see Him like that? Or do you see Him as in some way miserly, only loosing the purse strings with kind of a grumpy attitude. I guess I'm responsible to support you, so here. How do you see him? This is important if we're going to talk, as I am, about asking that you see him as happy. Some of us have had experiences with, with fathers or with other people that we go to and ask, which we know we kind of go, you probably don't want to, but will you? Do you think of God like that? Or do you think of Him as a delighted, smiling giver to you, His child? That's what He is. That's who He is. He gives common grace to all of His creation. He causes the rain and the sun to fall even on those who are His enemies. How much more you, the apple of His eye. The one in whom He delights. He delights to give to you. He delights to give blessing to you as servant. Ask. Ask. And asking is critical. It's heavily emphasized in this passage. Not because God never gives anything without being asked. Sometimes he does. But asking is important. Something to think about here about the purpose of prayer. Prayer. God often, not always, often does not give until we ask or until we ask a second time, or perhaps a third time, because God wants to do something good to you, for you. He always does good to you. And the good that He does in making us ask or sometimes ask a second or third time is is to clarify a couple of really important things, to clarify and establish who the giver is and the great breadth and depth of our need. Often in life, God creates situations and then draws a line where our ability, our our human strength and power, comes up to the line, draws up short at the end, and we see our impotence and our inability, and the need is on the other side of the line, and we are sent looking for help. By the design of a good and gracious God, He draws you up short and says, look and ask. That will clarify, I can't, He can, and oh look, when I ask, He does. That teaches us about ourselves and about Him. That's a good thing. So often, God does not act. Until we ask, if he acted always behind the scenes, subtly, we would be most inclined to think stuff just works out. We think that all the time anyway. If I keep at it long enough or if I wait long enough, stuff just sorts itself out. And we never see that God actually is the one sorting out everything. Nothing just sorts itself out. God is involved in every detail, in every aspect of everyone's life. And sometimes, He creates this asking and then receiving to show us that. So go to Him and seek Him and knock and ask and He will give. Sometimes not right away, but He will give. So we can look at this passage and we can understand something Along those lines about prayer and about asking. But there's more here than just some general points about prayer and about asking. The context of this passage should prepare us to be thinking about something else. Should prepare us to be thinking about covenant. That's Hannah's problem, you remember. It's it's a covenant issue for her. She's lacking the full blessing of being in covenant with God, that she should have because of who she is with Him. And she lives in the midst of a whole people who are in covenant with God and are not experiencing the full blessing that they should be. And the house of the Lord at Shiloh is a place where God is to be uniquely experienced and it is also barren. With Eli and his wicked sons running the place. Not experiencing there at that place what they should be experiencing. There are layers in this context of people in covenant lacking. And then, the fruit that God gives to this particular barren, broken, praying, asking servant Hannah... Comes and fills her, goes and fills the house of the Lord, and when he grows up, fills the whole land and changes everybody's perspective and experience of God. Hannah's son is one born who bears God's name, is given over to worship and to dwell in the house, not of his earthly father but in the house of the Lord as a worshiper forever. He redeems the people of God and brings them into a place where they can experience the blessing of covenant with God like they should. Christian, think. Does that sound like anything to you? Does that sound like anyone to you? It should. Because what we have here in the story of Hannah and her son is a type It's another piece in God's long plan, God's long process of acting to redeem the people. What we have here is a model of what Christ is like. Another son born who bears the name of the Lord comes from a place where there shouldn't be any children born. And then is born again out of the death, the barrenness of a tomb, out of the ground, so that you can experience the fullness of the covenant blessing with God. In due time, in the fullness of time, God the Father sent God the Son to us while we were dead in sin. And He sent Him to do something marvelous for you. To bring you into covenant with Him. To give you a blessing available to all who freely ask. So ask. To all who ask Him, who ask Him humbly and laid down and grieved by their own brokenness and death and utter inability to create life. To all who turn to Him and ask, done with your own attempts. If you ask, you come to Him weary and heavy laden and ask, He will give you life, rest. This is the good news about how God redeems somebody, about how He can redeem you. We are all born dead. You're all born empty. We're all born separated from God. And God in mercy acted to send a son to in your place die for your sin. If you ask Him. So come to Him and ask Him. I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe I'm talking to you. Do you know Christ? He's been provided by the Father that you might know blessing from God. And apart from Him, you cannot. So come and ask and give yourself to Him. But Christian, my main burden as I consider this passage is that we... Most closely to follow the context, we are like Hannah, already in relationship with Him, and yet lacking the fullness of that. Lacking the the whole breadth of what the blessing of being in covenant with God is supposed to be for you. We have something to seek in Him also. Are you in touch with your need I'm talking to you, Christian. Are you in touch with your need? Are you in touch with the need to experience full communion with God? Are you tired yet? Are you are you finally done pursuing a life in this world that is filled up with shallowness and futility and fad? Are you through with it yet? Are are you tired of, of living filled up with things that are light and shallow and empty? The latest celebrity gossip column the newest pop song or the movie that's coming out and is the blockbuster of the year can't wait. How many of us are living on the edges of our seat waiting for iPhone 5 to come out? My goodness, didn't 4S just come out? Are you tired of that yet? There is a great tragedy. That we who are the people of God, for whom Christ has come to buy something for us. Do you realize, Christian, God the Father sent God the Son to bring you to Himself, to buy you access to a place. To buy you access to the presence of the Holy Lord of Hosts. And so often, tragically Christian, we live beneath our birthright. Are you tired of that yet? Are you done? It does not fill you and you know it. Because no sooner do you consume it than you're looking for the next fix. We are enamored with fad and flash and amusement and hobby when relationship with the God of the universe who spoke everything into existence, who sustains every element of all of our lives, is available to you. That relationship with that God has been purchased for you, given to you as a right. And you set it on the shelf and turn to what? Are you tired of that yet? Do you long to live as a blood bought covenant family member with this Christ? near you and filling you, who has been provided for you as your wisdom, that is, your righteousness, your sanctification, your redemption. Are you struggling? Not knowing Him as your righteousness, are you struggling to live a life that's good enough? Not knowing that you are as good as you need be. Not knowing Him as your sanctification. Are you struggling to fix the places where you know you're not good enough? Not knowing that He, though you are as good as you need be, He will make you better. He who is your sanctification. Are you tired, burdened by your sin patterns? Tired of always weed whacking and never getting to the root of things? Not knowing Him as the one who changes you. Are you crushed by guilt and never knowing the joy of release? Are you hard pressed to say, I walk, not perfectly, but I walk and I walk increasingly in holy love and in holy joy and in holy peace and patience and kindness and goodness. The fruit of the Spirit marks me and is marking me more as this one grows me to make me fully human. Is that alien to you? And are you tired of it yet? That's the barrenness that Christ, by His Spirit, longs to work out of you, longs to deliver you from today, would be delighted to move on you and to fix. A blessing that can be summarized by saying, full, intimate connection to Christ who is your life He came and died to buy that for you. Are you done living beneath it? It cannot be turned on such that you will have it in fullness tomorrow. In fact, you will never have it in fullness until you reach glory. But what I'm talking about is are you tired enough of wallowing in that that you want to say, God, help me. Revive me. Renew me. Change me. Have me. I come asking and seeking and knocking for that. Please. I am one of your people and I lack the full breadth of the blessing and I'm grieved by that Lord. I come and I pour out my soul before you. Are you there? Repent if you're not. And in hope, ask. Because He is delighted. He is delighted to deal with you and to give this. You sense a need for it, for yourself personally, for our corporate body here, for the church at large. Come and ask. And how we should come asking takes me to the second observation. It should be shorter here. Addressing how we are to go asking. Here it is. Eagerly ask God for His blessing in order to give it back to Him in consecrated life. Eagerly ask God for His blessing in order to give it back to Him in consecrated life. That is, in set-apart-to-God life. In a life given over to His purposes, to His kingdom work, and not just kept for myself. Last week's passage describes what we are told about several times in this week's passage, how Hannah made a deal. You see it in verse 11, but it's brought up again in 20 and in 26, 27. She asked the Lord for a son Painfully burdened but remarkably open, she pours out her soul and asks, boldly approaching the throne of grace to seek what she needs. And he gives it. But notice carefully, all along, she's asking with an intention. She goes asking in order to receive, of course, but then to give it right back to him. From the beginning, That's her goal. Verse 11. To consecrate, to devote fully, to set apart for Him and for His purposes. She indicates her conviction on this when she names Him. She puts the name of God on Him. She shows it when she brings the the feast and and gives Him back that He might dwell before the Lord forever. And in case we don't get that, she tells us explicitly in 26-27, This is the one that I asked for and God gave it and therefore I give it back as asked. Forever. Hannah's attitude. Thank you, O Lord of hosts. Thank you for pouring out on me the full experience of your blessing on me, a covenant member. In her case, Old Covenant, a son. I lack that. Thank you for giving it. And now here it is. This one that has come from your hand to me, I give back to you. From you and through you and to you and for you are all things, everything in my life, this included, here. Take and use Him, not just to fill up my home, but to fill up your house and to spread your kingdom here happily delightedly threefold offering here brothers and sisters that's how we are to pray asking for his blessing on our lives the blessing that he means to give to us as members of his covenant family he means to give it to us But everything, every spiritual blessing in Christ that you have, every ounce of spiritual maturity that you have, every morsel of spiritual fruit, every glimpse of insight, every inch of depth, not to mention all your physical resources, your money and your time, everything, He gives it to us for our joy, but not just for our joy. For the hallowing of his name, for the coming of his kingdom, that his will may be done in us and through us here on earth as it is in heaven. He blesses us that we might be blessings, He revives us that we might be revivers. He renews us that we might be renewers and spreaders of a kingdom that is good for other people and right in God's eyes. That His name, that His image would press down on this earth is right. It's His. And He means to use us in that process. He conforms us to His image that He may send us out and spread His image. It is for us and it is for Him. It is for us and it is for others. Always, always blessed to be a blessing. So if I ask, please give that I might give. Please give that I might give. I become a conduit. A river. Through me His blessing will flow because He wants to reach there. Not just here. Here, yes. Not just here. There. Flow through me. But if I say, Flow to me. There will be some measure of blessing because he cares about me. I'm in his covenant family. He loves me deeply. He loves you. But do you realize, to some degree, he's going to say, I want to reach there too. I'm going to have to work through somebody else because you're not going to help. So the blessing will flow around me. What's your posture? What's your posture? Like this or like this? Which is it? We ask and we pursue and we knock with that goal in mind. James 4 tells us that sometimes we don't have because we don't ask, but sometimes we don't have because we ask for the wrong reasons to spend what we get on our own desires. Sometimes we ask because we haven't... We don't have because we haven't asked. But sometimes we have asked wrongly. And it's a wrong of motive. It's a wrong of desire. Not methodology. It's a wrong in here. From the beginning. No intention of blessing. But just of being blessed. James 4 says, at some point God says, I don't want to encourage that. I don't want to encourage in my people self-focused exclusion of others in my kingdom. So I won't cooperate with that. I wonder how much growth is missed How much desired and what would be delightful maturing is stagnated and how much renewal and revival is never experienced because from the beginning, Christians do not intend to offer up all of ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. From the very beginning, we don't intend that. And God knows it. It's his call to us in Romans 12, of course, and everywhere else. He wants us individually to know and experience intimacy, growth with Him, depth with Him, that we might turn and be a Christ-conformed person in the world. He wants us as a church to likewise experience growth and depth Uh, have a knowledge of Him that is not just head knowledge, but is according to all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we then as a church might be a representative of Him in the world. I think, though, that for some of us, we, we sit and to some degree are in touch with the need Maybe to some degree even highly in touch with it, frustrated, saddened and sorrowful and asking God, why won't you move in my life? God, why won't you use me? Where where are you, God? And we have no thought and no intention of laying down everything that we are and everything that He gives us as a sacrifice on an altar before Him. Having no intention, there, there should be, reading James 4, little surprise that nothing happens. Offer yourselves, brothers and sisters, as living sacrifices and everything that you will be, offer it. Ask with that intention, ask intending to give consecrated life. I think that's hard for us sometimes because I think, I don't know everybody, I don't know the depths of of all of our, our hearts, but I think Christians... I think we are fundamentally not self-focused from high-handed selfishness. I understand what I mean by that. Sometimes we can be self-focused from a high-handed deliberate selfishness. I want. It's all about me. I don't, I don't think that's where most Christians live. I think we are self-focused more from fear. If I get... In my barrenness, I mean, think, think what the temptation must have been like for Hannah. How many years has she not had a son? She finally gets one? Now, we read later, she gets more, or she doesn't know that. This might be the one. Given away? There's a fear face there. I get, I receive, I give it away? I mean, the little analogy here was, what if nothing else comes? So you've got to stop right there and say, is that God that nothing else will come? Is it? There's a fear there that if I give it away, I'm going to turn and I'm going to be left hanging empty until I die. Is that God? It's not the God of this Bible. The God of this Bible who has entered into covenant with you says, I always, you as my child, I always do good to you. He who has acted to save you by sending His Son will give you all other things that you need along with Him. At the point of fear, there's a question of faith. Do you believe Him or not? And He has shown Himself to be trustworthy by the very fact That He saved you. He's poured out love on you. He will not leave you high and dry. He delights to give to people who ask delighting to give. Christian, offer up your life to Him and ask Him for more. Ask Him to bear in you fruit to conform you to His image, to grow you for your great delight, for His kingdom's sake. Ask Him to revive you, to renew you, to change you. Ask Him. Let me pray for that for you now. Let's pray. Father, I ask you for your kingdom's sake, for the purpose of your name's cause everywhere in this earth, in this church, in the families represented here, in the individual people in the particular seats here. I ask you for your kingdom's purposes in those lives. Will you pour out your spirit and make new? For some here, I think for some here that means, would you save them? Some perhaps sit here, blind to the fact that they are objects of your wrath even at the current moment. Open their eyes and show them Christ as a great Savior, as the only Savior save them and by Your Spirit create new life. Please. For the rest of us here, Lord, I pray that You would by Your Spirit create new life of a different sort, renewed life. That You would grow and that You would deepen our communion with You. Fill up our hearts and chase away our fears. That You would raise up from us in our families, in our church, in the nation, You would raise up from us laborers for Your harvest. Give that we might be given. Please, Lord, I pray that for myself, for my family, for this church family. We're dependent on You. We look to You. You do as you please. You delight to give. So I ask. I don't know if you'll say yes now or if you'll say yes tomorrow or yes next week, but I ask now, please give new life. For your kingdom's sake, for the sake of your name, you've blessed us, Lord. Help us to be blessings. I pray this in Christ's name and for Christ's honor. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission.